Roxo Media House. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast, brought to you as always by frogstoday.com. My name is Grant McGalliard. Have alongside with me my, my co-host, my friend, Parker Fleming. And you know, because TCU is playing in the national championship game, we wanted to bring in someone who is unbiased. So we brought in noted TCU homer, Shahan Jayaraja of CBSSports.com. How's it going, my man? It's going great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, I will. This is a true story. I, I was wearing just like, you know, around the house, the Baylor sweatshirt earlier. And I'm like, maybe I should take this off just at least record the podcast, you know, be a little bit more straight and narrow for for an hour or so. But uh, no, it's it's a pleasure to be on, guys. <laughs> we we certainly appreciate that. I would have I would have lambasted you. So that's uh, that's good discretion. But um no, okay. So one, this is we are so low key here. Um, uh, obviously, uh, as you know, longtime listener. Um, but I do want to say we're going to talk about TCU. We're going to talk about Georgia and everything. Uh, judgment free. I'm not leading you. Just give me a couple words on not only Baylor's season, but Baylor having to play a bowl game in the freezing cold against the Service Academy, which just on its face sucks. <laughs> well, you know, look, I, I think that we can be real bad, right? At this point. You know, when you work in the in the industry as long as you do, right? You don't, you're not like a fan the same way. So I can appreciate how deeply funny it was that all of that happened. That uh, especially the bowl game. That's like that's one of the funniest bowl situations I've seen in a while. And then out of all of the games, for it to be like 14 degrees outside, so like they canceled the fan event that Baylor fans had to go to on TCU's campus. That is unbelievable. I mean, this is, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, for, for Baylor people, January 1st, 2022 started with their first ever Sugar Bowl win, or I think maybe first since the 50s or something. And uh, things have not gone in the right <laughs> direction since then. I like I like you pretending that because you're a very good reporter who is like unbiased and good at his job that I don't read your text messages during DC <laughs> Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right i will say that i will say that there's there there are two games that like i put a little not not a full fan hot hat on but like just a little bit and it's purely to be able to talk trash to my friends who went to these schools and that's tcu in texas and, and, and again that's like fair. the game's over and i can laugh about it immediately like i'm not hurt by any means but those are the two that i'm like man my life would just be a little better if at least i don't have to hear about this for the next year if you didn't have to hear the name Chandler Morris, you could sleep just a little more soundly at night. That's kind of what we're hearing. Speaking of just absolutely hilarious football things, oh Jerry Kill and Chandler Morris are the reason that Baylor didn't go to the playoff hey, in 2021. Hey, that was I, amazing. I, I, listen, there was one coach on TCU's roster ready to uh, to coach a bowl team in 2022, <laughs> and it was Jerry Kill. Okay, look, I, th- I don't feel as bad anymore. Jerry Kill was like the winter soldier. Like once Gary Patterson was fired, uh, JD went down to him and like said the sequence of words to like unlock the, the secret Baylor killing power there. <laughs> 
I will I will say it would have been it would have been a little more poetic to me if TCU kept Baylor out of the playoff last year and then Baylor did with a stupid game this year and we were almost we were so close to getting the exact same thing happening yes and that would have been all-time hilarious uh but I I guess I guess I'll let it slide uh I'm obviously very excited to to see all of my good friends at TCU having some fun in the college football playoff well, this is the part where we give you credit now because you were, I believe, the only person on your staff to pick TCU not only to cover but to win against Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. I guess two questions. One, why? And two, did we somehow talk you into this? <laughs> no, I, I, I'll i say what. I. So Michigan obviously has had Ohio State's number the last two years. And I think that when we evaluate Michigan, we think of them so much as being that team, the team that we saw play Ohio State. And and they are. I'm not saying that they're not. But I think that, you know, when it comes to thinking about them from a talent perspective, when it comes to thinking about them from a scheme perspective, we treat them like one of the superpowers when I don't necessarily see them as that, right? They're a very good team that's pretty much superseded the rest of the Big Ten at this point outside of Ohio State, but they are not Alabama. They are not Georgia. They're not 2019 LSU, right? And so... When I watched, especially, I mean, I watched a lot of Michigan football this year, and a lot of it was very pointless because they played an awful schedule. But, <laughs> uh, but when I saw them play Purdue, actually, in the Big Ten title game, that's that's when I kind of got a feeling because, you know, I, I think I said this on one of my previews. I almost feel like TCU, and I promise it's a compliment, is super Purdue, where like they do the things that Purdue does well but way better, right? Like at a much, much higher level. And uh, when I looked at Purdue, I saw a team that could move the ball through the air. And I think that Max Duggan's better than Aiden O'Connell. You know, I think that they are able to move the ball on the ground with a higher degree of consistency than what Purdue was able to do. And a a big part of it as well was I thought that they would do a much better job of converting red zone opportunities. Purdue was miserable at that in that big 10 title game against Michigan. They settled for five field goals, I believe. And and I figured, you know, TC would get two or three of those. They wouldn't settle for those, those field goals. Uh, And then defensively, you know, look, I I did think that Michigan was going to be able to assert their will in the running game, but I thought that TC was going to be a little bit better built to down to down defend Michigan in the passing game. And while the numbers looked pretty impressive, I, think that you look at a lot of the advanced stats after the game and they did a pretty good job down to down it was mostly explosive plays that kind of got away from them so uh again the the one piece of this that i probably didn't expect was tcu dominating on both sides in the running game that you know i thought that they'd be able mm-hmm. to have success but dominance i i didn't necessarily expect but other than that i mean it, it kind of went to some extent the way that i expected and um and look i was the only one at cbs to pick it i i looked the other day and uh at the athletic 29 of the 30 riders picked uh picked michigan in that game only one other one did scott doctorman from the athletic the athletic uh who covers iowa and my my conspiracy theory is that he just did it because max duggan's from iowa because i think that that's how scott thinks sometimes and uh you know what so i feel pretty good about it I also pick Michigan. So if you add add the Purple Theory podcast to uh, to that esteem <laughs> list. Yeah, we're, we're we're on the list of the haters and the losers uh, of, of of which are many. Um, yeah, I did not have Imari De Mercado averaging eight point eight yards a carry and one hundred fifty total yards against Michigan. That was not on my bingo card at all. And especially after like the first run, you just thought, oh man, this is going to be crazy. But 
going back and watching uh, Michigan, definitely a sloppy team. I, I like that point. You said they're, they're kind of like in a no man's land where it's like, all right, they're clearly not just Penn state, right. But they're also very clearly not that extra tier, that other tier of it's kind of like by attrition, someone from that part of the country has to go to the playoff and Michigan has just kind of filled that role um, the last couple of years. So that makes sense. And that was a, that was a well thought out, uh, a well thought out process as to why, you picked them and uh, certainly worked out and certainly showed that TCU did have uh, a really clear path to victory there. Um, yeah. Uh, Can I ask, are, are you a Joe Moore uh, award voter by any chance? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. They okay. have much smarter offensive line people than me. I know that a, a couple of years ago, cause I do vote on the football writers association uh, all America team. I'm like one mm-hmm. of their selectors and I do know a couple of years ago we had uh, one of the the guys who helps run the award, Barrett Jones. People might remember him, great lineman from Alabama. Oh, yeah. Uh, to kind of help us talk, uh, uh, help us talk a little bit through some of our offensive line uh, contributors on the All America team, which was very cool because obviously I grew up watching Barrett Jones, like a lot of us did. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I think that. You know, this feels like a to make a comparison to the NBA, right? Like this feels like Nikola Jokic can't win a third award without actually winning something, right? Like I feel like that's yeah. when we go into next year with Michigan. It's like congratulations, you crushed the Big Ten, but like, does it mean anything? I, I feel like we're reaching that platform with Michigan winning the Joe Moore Award. That's that's fair. It's Luca's turn to win the the Joe Moore Award, is what we're saying. <laughs> um, speaking of the Big Ten, I I have. I did this when we recorded on Sunday, and I'm going to do it again tonight. I'm sure of it. I keep thinking TCU is playing Ohio State in the championship game. I keep saying Ohio State instead of Georgia, yep. and I don't know why. Um, I said on the radio but, today, on the radio today, and I said against T- Ohio State, TCU is going to have to like four different times. I had to catch myself. I know. I know why. why. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand why. But we are here to preview the Georgia Bulldogs from the Southeastern Conference, uh, Athens, Georgia. Got to say, great college town. Don't know if y'all have been. Huge fan of Athens, Georgia. Shout out to REM. I'm not. They're okay. Um, oh, we're going to take that offline. It, it, the end of the world as we know it is a great song. Um, You're lucky we have company because this podcast would go off the rails immediately if she wasn't here right now. <laughs> uh, the Georgia You're Bulldogs. Okay. Undefeated, defending national champions. A 45-year-old man at the helm at quarterback. Parker, uh, before we get to kind of the you know the breakdowns of scheme and everything, and that's that's why we have Shahan on. Of course, give us your your overall nerd advanced stats breakdown of the Georgia Bulldogs. The Georgia Bulldogs uh, are second in EPA per play margin in college football this year, just behind Ohio State. They're ninth in offense. They're seventh in defense, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. They lean towards the pass. They're going to put the ball up to their big receivers in space. Um, They are second in uh, EPA per pass. They are first in passing success rate. Their run game plays very complementary style into that. They are 17th in rushing success rate, 66th in rushing EPA. So not very explosive in the run game, but they're not designed to do that. They don't care about that. The run game just keeps them on schedule so they can get the opportunity to get the ball to their playmakers down the field. Um, they are uh, eighth in uh, in echo ratio, quality possession rate. Uh, so that is 59.4 of all quality possessions in games that Georgia played belong to them. That's that's pretty dominant. 
And on the other side of the ball, they are second in EPA per rush defense, defense allowing negative 0.240. So when you run the ball against Georgia, on average, in expectation, you're losing a quarter of a point of value. Uh, their pass defense is pretty good, but not as good as their run defense. They're 33rd in EPA per pass, negative 0.082. Um, slightly better on early downs or on late downs than early downs on defense. We'll get into the nitty gritty, but they're 27th in early downs. EPA allowed a third in third and fourth down success. 29.7% third and fourth down success rate is what Georgia's defense is allowing. That is absolutely uh, absurd. They're very good, is my, Some, is my read on the Georgia Bulldogs. Huh. Wait, uh, so, Shahan, so, let me ask you, it, last year's Georgia Bulldogs or this year's Georgia Bulldogs, I, I feel like this year's team is a I, – I don't want to use the word worse because they're still great, but I don't think they're as dominant as they were last year, true or false. I mean, I, I'll say they're worse. They're worse. Yeah. I mean, so okay. I, I think that I think that the biggest thing you say about – last year's team versus this year's team is that I think that last year's team was like all-time elite at something right they were elite 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 stopping the run they were like one of the best ever at doing it uh this year they're outstanding stopping the run but you know in a way that other teams are maybe outstanding stopping the run and I think that also uh they're they're much less balanced defensively this year like you mentioned uh, 33rd in in uh, I think it was passing EPA allowed like th this is not as uh complete a group as maybe we saw last year which I mean look guys they, they lost what eight first round picks on the defensive yeah. side of the ball so I'm so sorry you didn't live up to expectations <laughs> and standards uh, after doing that uh but you know the funny thing is while they are not as dominant as at one thing as they were last year I think that they are a more balanced team top to bottom uh than they maybe they were last year I, I think that actually in some ways I've I, I'm not all the way prepared to go and say this, but this is almost an offensive team at this point with a really good defense more than a team that is dominant defensively and their offense is complementing it. Like they are really, really good and really, really efficient offensively. Like you mentioned, uh, primarily out of the passing game, but also in the running game because of what their passing game opens up. So uh, I think that it's a credit to them. I, I think that this is actually a great coaching job team in a lot of ways, especially on the offensive side of the ball to, to really emphasize where their advantages are. But uh I guess it does sort of in some ways uh, land on, you know, would you rather be dominant all-time elite at something or would you rather be kind of good at everything? I, I think that having that unit that uh, that basically nobody can touch is probably just a, a game-changing sort of difference. But, um, you know, they're, they're still really good this year, but I would absolutely take the 2021 team. It, it's amazing to me that... Go, go ahead, ahead, Parker. Sorry. No, I was going to say, it's oh. amazing to me that Todd Munkin didn't get looked at for a, a head coaching job. Uh, yeah. Again, in the, in the, I in the am cycle. under the impression that he did and didn't find anything that he wanted to take. I was yeah. saying, like, I mean, this I, I assume, this is not I assume he's he making... has a super high reservation option. Right, hmm. right. I'm sure that he's making a million and a half, two million dollars to be the head, the, sure. the offensive coordinator over there. And like, you know, you basically need to either get an AAC job, a high, high, high end, maybe Mountain West job or a power five job. And those are the only yeah. options really, if you want to make more money than what you're making right now. Now, sometimes 
sometimes you leave, uh, obviously, and uh, for the job possibilities. But Todd Monken's done that before. He's been there, done that when it comes to being a head coach at a at a group of five program. So sure. uh, I, I think that it will be, you know, when the time comes, and eventually I'm sure it will come. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that he has the opportunity and the right to be selective, which is I think a good place to be. Yeah. Um, that team last year was so crazy because like you think about college football, a lot of it is like, can you, do you have to bring extra bodies or can you stop the run from too high? And most defenses are like, oh, if we're running too high, we can kind of stop the run and survive. Georgia was like, no, we're going to prey on you in too far. Like we're, we're going to run three high and still just absolutely decimate you in the run game. And there's nothing you can do. I just pulled this up comparing them from last year to this year, last year, Georgia's defense, number one in EPA per pass allowed negative 0.304 points per <laughs> pass allowed. Wait, wait, do you and say negative point is 0.3? Negative 0.3. When you passed against what? Georgia in expectation, almost a third of a point of negative value. So and then stupid. in the rush game last year, fourth, <laughs> Uh, and in the nation in EPA per, per rush, negative 0.162. Like, just impossible. It's trivial. The <laughs> offense didn't matter. Like, there's almost an argument that, like, they didn't develop the offense to its full potential last year because it didn't matter. Like, right. it literally didn't matter. Right. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. that, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, again, like, this year it feels like – well, and actually one thing, you know, one thing that somebody – I can't remember who said this, but it makes a lot of sense to me is last year – in some ways, they were running the JT Daniels offense with Stetson Bennett. And this year, you see that Todd Monken sat down and said, what does Stetson Bennett do well? And what can we do to emphasize what he does well? And you see a team that really flows through Stetson Bennett. And, uh, you know, two years ago, this would have been a meme. This would have been a joke, right? But this is real. Like, I don't think he should have it's been a high. It's still a meme but, but and a like, joke a, for the record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's like legitimately one of the more effective quarterbacks in the country. Now, the comparison I'd make, right, is that uh, in Stetson Bennett, you have, let's say, Steve Nash, right? Like you've got the guy who's distributing. You've got the guy who everything kind of flows through him. Everything's coming through his hands. Uh, you know, whereas in, in a Max Duggan, I think you have more of the like, I don't know, like, uh, a Derek Rose or, so, you know, somebody who's who's obviously able to do the stuff in the passing game, but also, you know, they're able to kind of take it on their own. They're able to score in their own sorts of ways, too. Right. So it's a it's a different kind of system. It's more of like a almost a throwback system in some ways, but it just so effectively takes advantage of the uh, the mismatches that Georgia has offensively. As a Bulls, I, I know you're a Bulls fan, so I will take that uh, Max Duggan comparison as a, as a compliment <laughs> for the record uh, to to prime D Rose. Let's let's talk about Stetson um, for a minute because I know he has become a bit of a meme. The uh, the shutdown forecast, the what is it, Waycross Blackshear Kia dealership that he will soon own after graduating college. But 14 games played, uh, completion percentage of 67.8 percent. 3,828 yards, so that's 8.9 yards per attempt on an average depth of target of 9.2. 23 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. I am a Stetson Bennett believer, I think, and for all the reasons that you said, and that I think he's an incredibly good, maybe the like the most upper management CEO-level game manager that you can imagine. But I'm curious, Parker, what's your take on, on, on Stetson? I think that Stetson Bennett is a fine college quarterback. Um, and I think that's all that the only kerfuffle I see about Stetson Bennett is when people say like Heisman or draft pick kind of deals where you're like, okay, when one sense he's 
a white quarterback who's been around a successful offense, he's going to get drafted and hang around an NFL roster. Like that's just going to happen. Um, he might play a little bit. Like that's yeah. Shout out to Brock Purdy. Shout out to Mac Jones. I think is probably they're probably going to do something different at quarterback eventually. But um, that that kind of thing, which like Sam that's, that's what happens. Sam Ellinger, right? Sam yeah. Ellinger, yeah. Um, and and you know what? In three years, we'll be saying Max Duggan. Congra- congratulations yeah. to him. Good, good I, get for the him. bag, King. Yeah. yeah, go for it. I mean, do you understand that like Andy Dalton has made more money playing football than like ninety nine point nine percent of people who've ever played football? Like that's hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, but uh, I will say that they definitely did a great job easing him into the offense. Like that Oregon game, he was just handing the ball off through the air, basically. And that is really the only point I think I've actually like bristled about the Stetson Bennett discourse, because it was like, people were saying, this is his Heisman. Like this is, it's his to lose all this. And you're like, my dude, that defense is terrible. And all they did was just throw screens and like, let it go. 5.6 average depth of uh, average depth of target, almost 12 yards per attempt. So just a, a comical reduction of what George's offense does, which is says, Hey, we know that we have better players and we know that we can get them in better situations than you. We're not going to press ourselves any more than we have to. But as he went, you know, of course the season and uh, grew into that offense a little bit, that, that average depth of targets up to 9.2. Uh, a couple games where they didn't have to throw it much, Florida and and Tennessee, for instance, he was uh, above 10 and had fine performances in those games. Uh, Tennessee had had a couple great balls and he will throw some great balls. I saw one against Ohio State there um, towards towards the end where he put a ball in a window that I didn't even think was there. Like very impressive and has definitely matured into the role and is a, is a fine college quarterback. I think that's the important thing to say there. Now, do I want to engage with like, SEC folks who are tweeting out videos about is Stetson Bennett the most clutch quarterback of all time and stuff like that. It's like, no, I don't think we need to do the hyperbole. I think we need to say uh, Munkin has a great system and Bennett is a fine quarterback to run it. Um, I I also think that I'm of the belief that if you put Stetson Bennett on Iowa, Iowa doesn't have a competent offense. Like that's not. Hmm. Um, I I Did you watch Spencer Petrus play football this year? I mean, he's bad. I'm saying he's bad, but I'm just saying that's not the. I'm just saying, like, 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 it raises the ceiling. I'm not saying it wouldn't be better. I'm just saying it's not like we're going to be talking about Iowa's offense if Stetson Bennett's running running point there. I I mean, to be fair, right? Like Brian Ferentz would be calling plays. We don't. We don't have to blame the quarterback for that situation either. (laughs) Um, But that's that's what what I try to think about. It's just like if I switched everything, except like if I switched him into something different, like. Could he go, could he, could he run the Dorian Thompson off uh, Robinson offense? Maybe, and maybe even better than DTR because he's a little more cool in the pocket and, and doesn't rely on his legs as much. But um, I think that the only bristle I have about Stetson Bennett is that like, he's a fine college quarterback who's done really well in a good system with an overwhelming talent advantage at every, every point um, that he's played and good for him. Like, that's great. That's what college football is about, dude. Is like guys like that succeeding and winning and looking yep. goofy in their letter jacket in New York. <laughs> we still have to talk about Tim Tebow. Like it's good work. <laughs> if you can get it, excuse me, that's uh NFL playoff game winner, Tim Tebow. Thank you. <laughs> NFL playoff game participant. <laughs> oh no. He threw the pass. He uh, threw I the pretty I pass. <laughs> uh, Okay, that that's enough talk about Stetson. We that's we... the only note I had was make Shahan bring up Tim Tebow. Actually, I, <laughs> <see that. laughs> I get drawn off sides real easy. Greg can tell you that. <laughs> the Stetson Bennett discourse is is ever present. Let's talk about, about that talent advantage that Parker brought up. 
Do you want okay? I'll, a dealer's choice. Do you want to do receivers or running backs first? Well, in this Any situation, you you're the dealer. That's very confusing. You said dealer's <laughs> choice, but then you turn it to the people sitting. Well, on the table. whatever. Pick one. And then there are multiple people at the blackjack table. So okay, okay. running backs. Let's All right, talk we're gonna about... start with Kenny McIntosh and Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton, the three main running backs for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, both uh, McIntosh and Edwards both averaging over five yards per carry. Uh, both similar snap counts. McIntosh was 774. Dejan Edwards was 747. McIntosh has 10 touchdowns. Edwards, 7. Both average more than three yards after contact. Those are the only takes I have on the Georgia running backs because uh, I was prepared to talk about receivers here. So if you have any takes, please, let's hear them. Yeah, I mean, their their running backs are perfectly serviceable running backs. They're, there's not really guys that are going to, you know, I, I think that when we think of Georgia, when we think of Georgia offenses, we think of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Todd Gurley and all those guys, right? Like, they don't have those guys. These are perfectly okay running backs. Like, uh, Kenny McIntosh is going to have a chance to be drafted in the fifth round of the NFL draft and play for four years and probably somehow end up with Kyle Shanahan and rush for a thousand yards somehow. But like, that's, I, I just also because he's low key awesome in the pass game. I think that's yeah, something he has that nobody else we'll get to in the running yeah, room yeah, has. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no, he, he is definitely no. And, and I wasn't sure if we wanted to, I, I guess we are talking about running backs, but um, yeah. So, I mean, but like they're, they're not a team that's trying to be dynamic in the run game. They're trying to use the run game to set everything else up, right? And they're trying to take advantage of gaps. They're trying to to make you guess. They're trying to make you wrong. They're trying to set up play action. So, uh, you know, I, I think that even when you look at a Donovan Edwards, right? Like Donovan Edwards is much better than as a runner than any of the guys that Georgia has. But obviously the thing that Georgia does have is – They've got multiple of these guys. They've got several guys that they're willing to throw out there. Which is important just because I think also TCU fans really saw that like Michigan was really did not have sure feet with with Corum out. I think with the duo of Corum and Edwards, they knew had a good feel of in this situation. We know we can do this. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, as evidenced by running a Philly special from the goal line, giving the ball to uh, your backup tight end. But um, I, I think that Georgia, especially having those guys, also has a really good sense of what those, what the unique uh, abilities of those different running backs are, even if they are you know similar, um, and saying we can deploy them and, and deploy them well, n- knowing that we have the depth and we kind of have a good feel for what they both can do. Um, interestingly enough, it's it's very, very slight, but like, McIntosh does more, um, uh, excuse me, does a little bit more in the, uh, zone game. Whereas Edwards is going to be a little more in the, uh, in the, in the gap scheme kind of deal. So you think that's like shorter, shorter yard situations, but they both have similar, you know, similar across the board, 48 first downs for McIntosh Edwards with 40 first downs in the season. So like the, the outcomes are still the same, even if the deployment might be a little bit different, but because they have both of them, that run game is really just, it's a floor. I talk a lot about the rushing floor being like, as long as you can move the ball competently and that's what they do. Again, that success rate is, um, where is it? I can't see. I I'm getting old. I can't read my preview, uh, 17th and rushing success rate, 66 in EPA per play. It's like, they're staying on schedule. They're just not going to get that big explosive run, but they don't need to. They just need to move the ball. Can I take us down a very stupid detour? Hell yeah. Please. Uh, you mentioned Shahan the, uh, the 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 running backs you you associate with Georgia football. Can any of you name the two Georgia running backs that scored a touchdown in the 2016 Liberty Bowl between TCU okay. and Georgia? 
I got to tell you, I didn't know we were going for a second there. I thought we might have to hit the eject um, button. Um, so <laughs> would uh, would Sony Michelle have been one of them? He was one. Okay, because because 17 was the year that they went to the playoff and had Chubb and Michelle. Uh, Chubb was the ooh. other. Chubb was the other. Oh, okay, and, it was and, the and, other. Okay. And here's, here's your bonus question, then we will get back to talking about the current Georgia team. I just find this game so fascinating because I remember yeah. nothing about it. And like I, I, I was writing for the Dallas Morning News. I don't remember yeah. covering this game. Yeah. Who was Georgia's quarterback? Um, um Jake Fromm. Oh no. No, this was the but year before close. Jake Fromm. Uh Jacob Eason. Oh, that is Eason. correct. So it. wow. so yeah, this was this was a I actually remember this year. This was the year I was at SEC Country. And um and so this was Kirby's first year. They had, I think, won nine games in Mark Rick's final year. And, like, yep. they kind of slogged to seven and six that year. And then the next year, they were just like, you know, in the national title game. <laughs> because because yeah. Kirby Smart might be pretty good at his job. But, yeah, Jacob Eason, <laughs> uh, Washington legend. Washington legend Jacob Eason. That is correct. It ended 31-23. I could not tell you a single thing about this game. He threw for 164 yards. Congratulations. Shout out um, to Isaiah Graham who who led the comeback until he got absolutely decimated and, and hit out of the game. Like a real one of those hits when you're in person, you're like, oh, that that was that was bad. Yeah, that was real bad. That was a total mistake. Uh, also, shout out uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> college kickers. Actually, you know, the other funny thing that's uh, about this uh, this game in this season is that again in 2016, Jacob Eason is playing for Georgia, who only goes seven and six as opposed to Washington where he ends up, which is in the college football playoff at this point. Yes. So just a, just a, a totally different universe happening in 2016 <laughs> than where we are now. So what, a, what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, let's talk about, okay, this is the unit that scares the ever-loving, and I can say this word on this podcast, the ever-loving shit out of me. Georgia's the streak lives on. The streak lives on, and not even the receiver's Although shout out Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers haunts my dreams. I, I we're, we're going to talk about Georgia's matchup and kind of how they you know they they scheme. It, it all comes down to can TCU's linebackers cover Brock Bowers, who is a mountain of a man, a rumbling, bumbling, absolute stud, six four, two thirty. I want to be him when I grow up. He averages fourteen point one yards per reception, six touchdowns, total unit. I really think this game comes down to can they cover Brock? I'll yeah, open well, it up to the floor for, for yeah, other, yeah. Other well, and and I think that you know we don't know right this second if uh, Darnell Washington's going to play. I would assume yep. he does. They're trying to evaluate an ankle sprain at this point. Um, you know, I I think that Brock is going to be a huge problem. I think that Darnell Washington, if he's healthy, might be an even bigger problem. Six seven two seventy. He yeah. is just such a force and i think we saw in that game uh in the ohio state game when he, darnell washington went out it fundamentally changes the way that they play offense right because he is such a force in both the blocking and receiving game and i'll tell you what you you, you asked the question can tcu's linebackers cover these guys and like my answer is absolutely not my question is going to be what do they do with that information, right? Like, because, because uh, I, you know, obviously in this last game against Michigan, we saw the the safeties trigger so much, right? We saw obviously Mark Perry is such a factor in the running game. We see some of these other guys come down. My question is going to be: Can you remain gap sound uh, against the run 
while also almost certainly having to dedicate safety help to these tight ends? That's going to be a really difficult question for TCU. And a perfect example of that is the Big 12 championship game where Johnny Hodges was out and you saw there were multiple plays where Mark Perry had to think about something. And I don't mean to say, like, I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm saying like, he does so much and he had just one more added responsibility and you could see that second in real time. And I think that's where we're going to see that manifest is kind of in those inflection points of, of your, your Mark Perry's and your D winters that are kind of left to this as well. Um, I will say a quick note on, on Washington. I've heard, um, that it's pain management, which scares me because that seems like the kind of thing where someone's going to slap him in the face before the game and he's just going to go off and then he's going to end up in the hospital afterwards wearing a national championship ring. So uh, we'll see how he factors in. But I, I think that the tight end specifically will be able, if they have both of them, will be able to create some alignment issues that are really, really going to mess with TCU's exact limitation point, which is that trio of Perry, Hodges, and Hodge that are very good run defenders and to varying degrees, mediocre to bad pass defenders. Um, I think you even saw at the beginning of the Texas tech game, Texas tech's first touchdown involved uh, kind of a leak route that got behind Hodges because Hodges was focused on Baron Morton scrambling again, add a responsibility, a little bit more conflict takes a step off and that, and that really hurts. So that's where I see Bowers and, um, and Washington really wreaking havoc on the middle to say nothing of, of what they have on the outside uh, with, with A.D. Mitchell back and, and uh, just the, the way they can stretch you there as well. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they have so many daggum weapons. I, I should, I'm just going to say their names and their stats and it, but um, obviously I mentioned Lad McConkey, maybe the greatest name in college football, uh, 12.7 yards per reception on 76 targets, 53 catches, five touchdowns. Kenny McIntosh, we could talk about him for a minute. Parker, you mentioned how much of a weapon he is in the passing game. Actually, Georgia's third leading receiver, um, 41 receptions on 48 targets, 12.4 yards per reception on an average depth of target of 0.9 yards. Uh, quick mental math tells me that he is getting 11.5 yards after the catch on average. Um, holy hell, I guess is my analysis there. <laughs> no, and, and I think that it is a testament to, uh, again, the way that they manage this offense, that you look at their top four leading receivers, there's some dude named Lad there, and then two tight ends and a running back, right? Like, yep. this is, I, I think, as much as anything tells you how this offense works. And, uh, you know, I, I one thing that I'm going to be very curious about is, you know, with Lad McConkey, uh, they're one sort of true receiver who does do a lot for them. You know, I'm, I'm going to be curious. Can Travis Hodges Tomlinson, can Josh Newton, can one of them take him out of the game, right, in, in any sort of way? Because I think that, you know, look, if you feel like you can take away one or two of those receivers, and, and by the way, another uh, receiver who really stepped up for them in the semifinal was Arian Smith, who, who's a speedster. Uh, I think that that's mm-hmm. going to be a pretty difficult challenge. And they got A.D. Mitchell back as well, who's missed a lot of the season, but before that was really a, a major weapon for them as well. I, I think a lot of this game is also going to come down to whether those corners can match up with those receivers and make them non-factors and and take the game and push it to the middle of the field with these running backs, with these tight ends, and, and kind of just let basically the other eight or nine defenders on the field have to worry about them. Can I? Can we go fan mode for a second? I'm just going to, we're in the bubble, that's fine. For the love of God, THT better be able to lock down a three-star, 185-pound white guy named Lad. Um, 
if that if that can't happen, I'm gonna be outside of my mind. Like if Lad Bakanki beats TCU, I'm gonna be a very hobbled frustrated. lad, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> An yeah. injured lad. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the injury, I mean, well, not hopefully the injury. I'm just saying, like, he's limited, so so that probably won't be decisive. But just looking at this, we're like, oh, Brock Bowers is like this freak superhuman. Like, hey, Brock Bowers has 200 yards and beats you. It happens, man. What are you gonna do? Right? If Lad freaking McConkey beats you, that's gotta be the most frustrating thing in the entire world. Um, well, so I'll, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what because like this, this he's good I'm not purpose, saying he's not good right? yeah yeah but this this like remember obviously like a couple years ago and I'm this guy was a great player and is having a great career in the NFL but like it's it's when you have uh you know the the old nasty man quarterback who used to play for Clemson but and then you have all mm-hmm. these like first round receivers and then the dude killing you is Hunter Renfro and you're just like <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me right now this sucks i hate it here like it feels like Kirby Smart was like now nah, we could beat teams but the way that we can really beat them is by demoralizing them with some three-star sunbelt recruit named Lad okay Hunter this- Hunter Renfro Slade Bolden um, I I think honestly here's <laughs> Ryan Swope from Texas A&M Ryan for Swope. the record it was the original for this yeah TCU needs to throw the ball to Gunnar Henderson more is what I'm hearing. I, I, That's what I I'm hearing. Exactly right. I, or John I, I Paul think... Richardson becomes that guy for TCU. And he transfers. Oh, that's that's an off-season talk. I can't handle that right now. This, I'm so mad about that. This is, a, this is a job for Fig. This is Josh Newton's job. You line Josh up against Ladd and say, buddy, just take him out of the daggum game. He he did it against Michigan buddy, with basically every receiver he was lining this, against. This is a this is a receiver who's supposed to be in the Sun Belt. You're a Sun Belt star, man. Come on, come on, win the matchup. Take him out, daggum. Uh, anything else on George's receivers before we move to the offensive line? Uh, I do want to say yards per route run, just because again, bringing that stat up makes yep. me feel like I'm smarter than everyone. Um, but really the, just a good way to like, look at their productivity. And I think it's really interesting because you look at their kind of top four guys that, that Shayon mentioned and it's, and it's Lad, Brock, Kenny. Um, and then you've got, you know, one or two other guys that are kind of close there, but nobody has, nobody that's involved in the offense has a, um, yards per route run over 2.3. And actually Kenny McIntosh is kind of leading the involved crew with 2.3, yards per route run, meaning that like when he runs around, generally he's going to get targeted. Obviously it's checked down at screen. It's, it's all of that. Um, and he's probably slow releasing, but I do like, again, we, 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 we might not explicitly talk about TCU like this, but like TCU is Quentin Johnson gets five yards per route run and everyone else gets like 0.6, uh, very, mm-hmm. very concentrated. And Georgia is very, very multiple, even as they're a very simple offense in the sense that they do the basics. Well, they are still going to kill you in multiple ways. Yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair um, assessment. The offensive line, Cedric, Van, uh, great name, Cedric Van Pran, Cedric spelled with an S, uh, leads leads us off at center. We have Broderick Jones at left tackle. We have Tate Ratledge at right guard, Warren McClendon at right tackle, Xavier Truss at left guard. You'll see uh, Devin Willock filling in both at, at both guard positions and Amarius Mims at right tackle. But overall, this is a very solid unit. Um I would say a little bit penalty prone of their top five starters. Um, they've given up, let's see, seven, nine, 11, 14 penalties overall. So, you know, they, they, they will draw some holdings, but um, overall a, a very, very good front line for the Georgia Bulldogs. Biggest thing for me is they, they do keep Stetson Bennett very clean. 81.2% of his dropbacks. He's not pressured. So not as he not like harassed or hit or hurried, he's not pressured at all. Um, and when he's not pressured, I mean, as 
any competent developed quarterback would be, he's going to be pretty good there. Um, average depth of target of just 8.5. He's got 22 of his touchdowns unpressured, uh, uh, 72.7% completion. When he's pressured, 42.9% completion, one touchdown, three interceptions. The average depth of target is 11.8. Obviously, it's a little longer. Excuse me. Um, that's his drop percent, 13.3 average depth of target, obviously a little longer because you're back there and it takes longer for you to um, let the plays develop. But he also has 12 throwaways um, when he drops back and under pressure. And so I think that getting pressure and just trying to move Stetson Bennett, again, it's very similar to Max Duggan, not that they're similar quarterbacks, but in the fact that they both have certain limitations, a lot of times teams are able to make Max Duggan move Kansas State Big 12 title game, he had to take one step to the right. He had Tay Barber wide open, just missed him. And I think if you let Stetson Bennett sit back there and throw the ball into a big window, um, he's going to murder you. You've got to be able to move him. That offensive line doesn't doesn't let that happen very often. So, um, yeah, and it doesn't seem that blitzing and not blitzing makes any kind of difference to this offensive line. 68.9% blitzed, not blitzed, excuse me, 31.1% blitzed. Bennett's completion is 688 when he's not blitzed 65.6 when he is. So um, there is no obvious, I mean, obviously it's Georgia, the number one team. They're really great. There is no obvious recipe here, but you've got to be able to move Stetson Bennett. If you let him sit back there, he's just going to pick you apart um, because he's going to have time. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, one, one interesting stat to maybe look at, and maybe this is just a, you know, an outlier, you know, mo- the the two leaders in pressures allowed uh, on the line were actually two interior guys, their center and left guard. You know, maybe that's that's an indicator. Maybe this is an indicator that uh, Demonic Williams needs to have a big game for, for TCU. Oh, uh, music but, to my ears. <laughs> but uh, or, or that he needs to have a big game clogging up the A-gaps and letting Hodges yeah. and Hodges come in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, one way or another, whether he's the pressure-er or whether he's just creating the pressure. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's not necessarily something that you'd anticipate and even even when you look at again sort of the uh the run grades and stuff the interior guys aren't quite as good as the tackle so it's not necessarily going to be coming around the edge you know a big part of of the lack of pressures and all that sort of stuff is also that uh georgia does such a good job of getting it out of stetson's hands quickly Mm -hmm. so i think that this is this has to be sort of a coverage sack situation as well just with the way that you cover this team so uh Look again, you know, I feel like we went through the entire offense and we're like, yeah, they're good at this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And And that's because they are good at this and this and this and this. They're good at everything. Uh, You have to find a way to knock them off of their game plan. Yeah, I I think the three, three, five being kind of unbalanced. I I know even against before the Michigan game, uh, Sonny Dyke said that Gillespie had some tricks up his sleeve for Michigan. And and I think I think they really showed that they're going to have to develop a whole new bag of tricks to uh to take take advantage well, of any thing against Georgia. I I don't know though. I mean, when you run a 335, I think there's going to be a lot of mashing against you guys. Uh, you know, I don't think that they're built to actually play defense against players. <laughs> uh, so I think Did that, you know that the big look, it doesn't count. Okay? It's only it's only a lack of physicality that comes from the Champagne <laughs> region of France. Otherwise, it's just unblocked was, players, all right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, like, Georgia didn't win the Joe Moore Award. But let's keep it uh, Yeah. Uh like I said, uh physicality is when you arm wrestle and that's it. Nothing else counts as physicality. (laughs) Speaking Um, of physicality, (laughs) Jalen Carter terrifies me. This is my pivot to defense. Yes. I mean, it's horrifying. I will go out of my way to say, because I tweeted about this because Todd McShay was being a 
turd about this. Jalen Carter does not terrify me in the sense that like he's a human. If he walked up to me on the street, I would be physically threatened or morally right. threatened by him. I'm saying if I had to line up against him, I would retire from the game of football. I wouldn't even go to the stadium. Probably. Um, he is just, I mean, he's just a big dude and he's super disruptive in the middle. Um, that also terrifies me because TCU does a lot of movement because their tackles aren't very good. And so in pass protection, you want to get your best lineman blocking their best lineman, and they're going to take the guard in the center and move them out of the middle and create a hole for just a little bit and hope that Wes Harris can block Jalen Carter. And I'm very worried about that happening. <laughs> yeah, I remember thing? before I, a lot. I remember before the season uh, asking Sonny Dykes about like, oh, who are the names you kind of like at tackle? And didn't like the names he said uh they've done a great <laughs> job of mitigating that like you said uh, of keeping them in motion and things like that this is going to be a test not just for the interior guys obviously jalen carter's an interior lineman but like you said can you keep those tackles just moving in the right direction not pushed off of their blocks i, I mean it's it's a lot to ask obviously you know we talk about jalen carter but the biggest thing about georgia is also that they rotate so much on the defensive line they've constantly got fresh bodies coming in uh what you know robert beal has obviously been a huge player for them as well uh you know it's just it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Like they, people, uh, people from uh from the uh from Tarrant County might remember Bear Alexander. He's like down there, like fourth string on the depth chart, and he's one of the best players I've ever seen play football. It, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Uh, I would say, look, I I definitely think that it's important to note that. I think TCU needs to find ways to create opportunities in the running game, whether it's at running back, whether it's at quarterback. I think they just need to keep the defense honest. Uh, don't go up the middle. Don't 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 try that. That's not going to work. Don't don't try to is, run in the A gap. Can TCU is TCU going to be able to run a gap scheme all game? Like, why would you even try? Right? Yeah, it's like, I, I don't think that now? you even try. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I can I offer some optimism. Sure. And, we're, and, we're, and we're switching position groups slightly here, if you don't mind. Keely Ringo. Not good. <laughs> okay, I, Keely I, Ringo, not as good as he was made out to be after making one one crucial play in the in the national championship game last year. Was, I think that's I, where I'm at. It was a big play. It's very. It's a great play. It's very important. <laughs> it was a great. No, I, I, we talked about this a little bit on my podcast as well. And so basically, you know, look, Keely Ringo is a very very talented player. He's obviously done a great job. He is not fundamentally sound enough to be what I would consider to be a true corner one, especially in a scheme like Georgia that really puts you on islands quite a bit. Uh, he, you know, one of the reasons that he has been sort of a big play machine is that he takes a lot of chances, man. He, he takes a yeah. lot of chances and he gets burned for it. You know, Ohio state realized early and often in the game, Marvin Harrison jr. Is going to burn him with relative consistency and, and Keely Ringo is going to try to get it back with one play or two plays and he's going to get out of position and, and Ohio state was able to take advantage of that. Now, one thing that I think is going to be important and, and, you know, not to, not to take it directly to quarterback here, but no, please. I, I think that one thing that CJ Stroud obviously does at such a high level is he throws darts, right? Like he throws incredibly accurate, high velocity balls. And one of the and things that the, Max and on the run, and on the, on the run. Yeah. Yes. And and one thing that Max, uh, you know, early in his career, he struggled to find what he needed to throw with touch versus what he needed to throw with uh, with velocity. 
I, I think he needs to do a great job of finding that balance in this game because like you you should not just lob it up on, on these defensive backs. They're too athletic, they're too fast, they have too good closing speed. But those opportunities, like you said, I, I think will be there if you can play them the right way. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I I just think if this Georgia defense has a weakness, I think it's on the back end because it certainly ain't on the front. So you got to pick right. one way to try to attack them. Well, in the in the Ringo Johnson battle, I think is really interesting because they're both players who like kind of play differently for their body. So like Ringo is what like six foot two hundred, and he kind of plays like a a little guy, but he makes up for it with athleticism. Whereas Quentin Johnston, like you know, saw an article about him talking about all this small receivers that he liked and then he grew a ton in middle school so it's like Quentin Johnson's like 6'4 215 he's got the body on Ringo he's also probably as fast if not if not a little quicker and so it's kind of this mismatch of hey these two guys don't fit into the style that you think they would play they both play outside of their style that I think is going to favor Quentin Johnston which leads me to believe that there's going to be help on him obviously there should be I don't think Georgia I don't think we're going to get a wait why the hell is Quentin Johnston wide open play which TCU has gotten pretty reliably this year um I don't think we're going to get one of those, one of those just absolute blown coverages. That that leads me to believe that we're going to need a Tay Barber game. Um, we're going to need a Darius Davis game because if, you know, if Georgia gives you an ounce of attention extra over there, that gives you a little bit more leeway to try and find easier completions uh, down, down here as well. You're telling me Georgia's not going to forget to rotate on a corner blitz in a playoff game? <laughs> there have been multiple true just like what the hell moments of TCU season like no 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 shortage and a lot of them involve Quentin Johnston um the Oklahoma State game in like in overtime where it's like hey wouldn't did shouldn't you be sure the who's Texas doing game what here? When, yeah um, it's the Texas yeah. game yeah uh but that, that that quarter blitz in the playoff you're like man someone's getting murdered for this like they're gonna kidnap this kid's dog or something this is awful oh man uh, what else, guys? What, what else are the defense? About George? I, I know I'm missing something on Georgia's defense here. We can talk about the linebacking core a little bit if you want. Um, Jamon Dumas Johnson, Smile Mondin Jr. I mean, I mean, what am I missing here? Uh, just, yeah, reading, I mean, just reading the the pressures off. I think is what I was looking at. Is just like yeah, you've got Williams and you've got Beal Jr. who combined for you know 55 pressures between the two of them. But like Carter from the interior has 30 and is second on the team. So like. There, it's not. I mean, if they stunt at all, if like Jalen, I don't know this. I don't know that this is the case. I haven't tracked this as I've looked at Georgia. If they could like just stunt Jalen Carter even a gap or two over, and then bring an edge guy in, I think that they could potentially just like shred TCU's pass defense. Um, which means that TCU has to keep then Wiley in. He's not a weapon they could put out. Yep. Has to keep Miller in, which. He's not a weapon they could throw out. Also, he's got to take body shots, which is not good because he's dealing with a little bit of uh, uh, injury as well. Um, this this makes me more worried than Michigan. Michigan, I was worried about TCU being in like third and long situations. Michigan pinning their ear back and creating turnovers, right? Here, I'm worried about first and 10 becoming first and 15, becoming second and 25. Like, um, yeah, I just think this could unravel really, really quickly in a, in a multitude of ways. Yeah, I think it's that's uh, eat it, Arby's. That is that is an easy transition into our best case, worst case. If you want to play a little game, we're going to do best case, worst case for TCU against Georgia. Shahan, in this particular exercise, you are taking the part of a TCU fan. So, are we <laughs> perfect? Um, 
are we are we let's do best case worst case and then listeners and then yeah, our predictions what, okay yeah, that's what i was gonna do calm down i never remember calm i just don't remember calm down. Don't we remember. do this Sorry. every week parker and i and i ask you and, and every week, week he doesn't want. remember i know, every week, I know. so much is again i'm a listener then and now <laughs> let's let's start with uh let's start with worst case for tcu because we just we just uh leaned into it i i, I will say that i think your uh your doomsday scenario uh, is certainly worst case that TCU just literally cannot get plays off without Max Duggan or Kendra Miller or Mario Di Mercado being swarmed in the backfield. Brock Bowers has the game of his life and TCU's linebackers. Mark Perry, who had a rough game against Michigan, has an even worse game against, uh, I almost just said Ohio State again, against Georgia. And this turns into like a two to 10 romp that is just never competitive. Hate it. No, I I think it's definitely possible. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I think that for me, when I look at worst case scenario, it's really honestly on the other side. It's really that TCU just finds no opportunity to stop those tight ends, and that they just each have a hundred yards, and Georgia holds onto the ball and never basically gives it back to TCU. And, and then on the other end, I think that you know just that they're able to completely take away TCU's running game that Max Duggan really has to be a true drop back quarterback and and I guess honestly the way that it would kind of turn into is all of a sudden you look up and uh, and Max Duggan's running the Sunny Cumbie offense again where he's either throwing bombs or screens all the time and I I I think here's here's one other negative thing that I'll say is that I just again we talked about it earlier Michigan is not a top three to five talent team, right? Like they are not. And I think that TCU is built to be able to deal with talent, but this is talent that they've never faced before. I don't know if they've, I mean, ever, ever faced this, right? And so there is a world where what people said would happen against Michigan that I never believed could happen against Georgia, where it's just too much talent, too physical, too athletic, and just nothing gets going, and it it ends up being just a horrible afternoon in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, dude, forty five to ten is on the table, man. Yeah. Um, like they just again exactly exactly a little bit of what I said with Michigan, except that um, Georgia has like the explosive passing game that I really feel like Michigan didn't as reliably have and uh throughout the season or didn't show and then it became a shootout and of course everything went to hell um but if georgia gets in a positive game state i mean we could be a crisp you know well it's a national championship they'll show enough ads to keep it above three hours but i was gonna say like a crisp a crisp 235 like let's get out of here college basketball kind of length of a game um yeah i think i think realistically that you know tcu um if if they can't get any kind of um reliable breathing room or find that middle ground like they did with kind of the crossing patterns with Quentin Johnson and Tay Barber to find touchdowns. Um, and if like Kendry Miller is not hundred um, percent, it's just, it's going to be third and long over and over again, which is going to be 2019 Max Duggan running for his life. And he's going to, he's going to bleed um, and he's going to do his very, very best. But I don't, I don't know if that will be anywhere near close enough to, to save this from being embarrassment. So that's not what I'm projecting. That's definitely on the table. Let's. I haven't hated the last three minutes of this podcast, so we are transitioning <laughs> to, to 
when Shahan said Sonny Cumbie offense, I about like just dropped off the Zoom call. Um, let's do. Let's do. <laughs> I think I said the Doug Meacham offense. I did. I do think. No, I said you said Cumbie. No, you, you, said, you said, said his name uh, on this podcast. My lawyers will be in touch. Well, with you know what? You know what? I I don't want to put that on Sonny. He's a very nice man. Doug. He's Meacham's very nice. Honest. He's extremely nice. <laughs> He's extremely nice. <laughs> Doug Meacham Best seems case. fun, and Sonny Cumbie seems nice. I'm very. Yes. I'm there with that. Best case scenario. Yes. <laughs> Best case scenario. Best case scenario. I I think. I'll make it simple and just say the two people I need to be MVPs on both sides of the ball for best case. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say Max Duggan on the offensive side. And I'm going to say Joe Gillespie on the defensive side, because he has to find a scheme that's going to slow down Todd Munkin and Stetson and that Georgia offense. There is a world where it happens folks. And that looks like 31, 27 GCU best case. Yeah, I, I think that uh, for me, you know, to pick those guys on offense and defense, I, I think that I really think that it might be Steve Avila. I mean, they really need him mm. to be versatile uh, going up against Georgia's defense. It's not just it's not just winning his one on one battles. He's going to need to help guys quite a bit. Obviously, uh, again, a couple of. Uh, maybe slightly more questionable guys on the outside there, like we mentioned. And, and I'll throw Alana Lee into this as well. I think that he obviously knows the blocking scheme that AJ Ricker wants to run very, very well. So it's going to need to be a lot of help. It's going to need to be a lot of misdirection. It's going to be an, a lot of getting guys just off their paths uh, when they're r- maybe running after Max Duggan. So I, I think that just the little things that those two guys do are going to be critical. And on the other end, I mean, I, it's hard. It's hard to say. I, I think that it might be Bud Clark. I, I think that that might need to be the guy who has a big game for TCU on that end because you need him to both contribute in the passing and the rush defense, right? Like it's going to be a lot to ask from him. I trust Mark Perry as a run defender. I don't necessarily trust him as much as a pass defender. I think that Bud Clark has showed signs of both. He's the one guy who I kind of feel like has been in the right places in a lot of different times. So, the the best case scenario I think looks like. Getting staying on the field on offense, uh, you know, not getting blown off the field, putting together sustained drives, getting into the red zone and and kind of creating at least 50 50 opportunities in the red zone to score touchdowns. And I think defensively, it's it's getting Stetson a little off of his block. Uh, it's it's trying to make guys who aren't those tight ends beat you. And I, I think it's uh, also getting off the field on third down. That's going to be absolutely critical in a game like this. So I think it's possible. Uh, I I think that it's definitely doable. I think that, I think that a best case scenario probably looks something like TCU 35, 27 or something like that. I think that, uh, but you know, it could go any number of different ways. And honestly, we could hit the best case scenario and TCU still get these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable or like being a home. I uh, the 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 message boards will just love this, but like I don't think it's like being a pessimist to be like, hey, I my my projection had TC with a 20% win probability. I'm like, I'm right. thrilled that it's at 20 at least. Like <laughs> I think that's incredible. Guys, um, this may come as a shock. TCU maybe might not win the national championship. That would be yeah. I know that would be shocking yeah. to, but like you know, obviously this is going to be a really big game, but you know, again, really big opportunity too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, best case scenario, Grant, how many times have we invoked the summoning circle and manifested a Dylan Horton game? Um, once again, Several. I think we need one. 
And uh, I'll light my candles later tonight and draw on my floor to make all this happen. But uh, I, I think that Dylan Horton needs to have a big game. Uh, certainly the secondary needs to hold up. But because of the way that George's offense works so much, I think it's it's almost more important that Dylan Horton have the game of his life than, and, you know, Bud Clark, Mark Perry, Millard, um, all those guys in the secondary have just good games. But I think Dylan Horton can raise the ceiling of this TCU defense by by just afflicting Stetson Bennett and making Georgia have to a, a account for him, whether that's keep another guy in and limit the offense, whether that's move guys around. Um, so Dylan Horton on, on defense has a great game, and TCU can really um, just stifle this Georgia offense. TCU hits a couple home runs on offense. Um, they get a Quentin Johnson play. They get a dumb touchdown. Like, I'm talking Gunnar Henderson, triple reverse, dumb touchdown. Um, that and, was and dumb. Think, yeah, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that TCU could win this game in the in the mid twenties. I think we could see like a twenty seven twenty four, um, hell thirty thirty one twenty four. Like touchdowns and field goals are random sometimes too. Um, I, I don't see TCU in any case having you know scoring more than the low thirties than that like thirty one thirty threshold. But I, I I think that TCU's best case scenario is a one score win where they are just absolutely you know white knuckling it till the very end. Have sorry, we like I, discussed? I, uh, sorry, have we discussed that like that he goes by Millard now? I I feel like I I everybody keeps saying Millard, and I'm just like every time I'm like, who the hell is Millard? And the artist formerly known as Nook. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, es- Esteban and Nook had to die so that Stephen Miller, <laughs> Steve could and Miller could live. I'm still mad about Esteban. Dying. So am I. I'm I not feel... okay. Okay. With it. Here's what I'll say. I have thoughts about those, and I am not going to say those. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. It's fine. I I like. I, I did ask him, so I interviewed him because this may come as a shock. When Gary Patterson was the head coach, they gave me Steve Avila in order to talk to uh, for interviews and nobody else. I know that's a surprise. I did ask him and he's like, oh, Steve is fine. I'm like, is it fine or is that what you want to go by, man? I'm happy to call you whatever. And and like the story that, oh my gosh, uh, you know, we obviously love our, our good friend Drew Davison, uh, you know, formerly the Star mm-hmm. Telegram, not Frogs Today. But when he wrote the story being like, Steve Avila is such a team player. He stopped using his name. Like, come on, man. That's not a that's not a good story. Coyman Milling could have pronounced Esteban. That's usually what it was. He <laughs> played at South Grand Prairie, and the coaches said they couldn't say Esteban. Are oh you kidding gosh. me right now? Come on. I, I I'm sorry. I, I'm glad that he goes by Steve. I'll call him Steve now if he wants to be called Steve, but like this is the worst reason ever to be called any name. We think we think Shahan Jalapeno uh, for his take, uh, which which is gr- a great one. Uh, we, I feel like there's been multiple times where someone has said something to Shahan that has been just like a little bit off of his name, and I will just DM him Steve in all caps. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> guys. This podcast is going to go on forever. We need to get to listener predictions, otherwise we're going to make a, a joke that one of us will not be able to come back for. Um, let's. It won't be me. It won't be you. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Parker asks, uh, we want to hear offensive MVP, defensive MVP, score prediction, and a trip you took to Georgia. We start with Matt Jennings. Don't know him. Uh, in, a, in a Georgia win, Brock Bowers and Jalen Carter, 35-24. Georgia at a TCU win, QJ, Bud Clark, 38-35. And coming home on Thanksgiving break to oppose to his now wife. Very sweet. Uh, J.D. Moore. Uh, has he Max- ever been to Georgia? That's I, uh, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, I don't know. Or 
Max Duggan, Johnny Hodges, 3128 TCU. He slept on Matt's couch and ate pancakes with you, apparently. He did. That happened. Uh, there you go. Uh, Mason Shereen, Max Duggan, Kendrick comes out and does the Kevin Nash fake cast reveal. THT and D Winters, 3332 TCU, went to a Georgia home game. Athens is a great college town. Evan Watson, Max, D Winters, 4137 Georgia, boot, reported in Georgia for two years. Uh, JD Sailors, Gunnar Henderson, okay. Uh, Dominic Williams, 4217. And the College Football Hall of Fame is an absolute must. Gavin Griffin, uh, Garrett Riley, Max's bloody elbow. Uh, then Fig and Trey, 2421 TCU. And he once won a battle for a golden fiddle in Georgia. Okay. Uh, thank you, Charlie Daniels. Brian Banks, uh, Kendra Miller, Bud Clark, 3831, was at the Peach Bowl. Matt Cafelt, Imari Mercado, D. Winters, 3123 Frogs, uh, went to Georgia on the TCU Club Lacrosse team. Clint Foster, Max, THT, 3431. Uh, Hypnotoad, offensive MVP, not Stetson Bennett, defensive MVP, Johnny Hodges, uh, 4138, broke 100 on his first round of golf ever in Georgia. Uh, I assume that was not at Augusta National. Uh, let's see. Matt Amorphous, uh, Max Duggan, Mark Perry, 3128 TCU, uh, the World of Coke Museum is cool, apparently. Speaking through these, uh, Chris McAdams, Tay Barber, Bud Clark, 45-37 was in, at the Peach Bowl as well. Ray Cartwright, Darius Davis, D. Winters, 32-29 TCU, Super Frogs, Baby Mama, uh, Georgia, 49-35, and the Stetson Bennett fairy tale ends the way it should. Seth Dowdle, Jared Wiley, and Bud Clark, 34-30, Georgia 30, or excuse me, 30, TCU 34, Georgia 30. Also another vote for the Coke Museum, which I've never been there before. It's it's fine. I don't know. I mean, there's a cool room where like they have Coke products from around the world, and that's pretty cool, but like it's fine. Did they have the original recipe with the cocaine? That's not here today. Uh uninformed frog. <laughs> In my uh, classic Max typical D. derailing of this podcast, I'm just gonna talk over you until you let me interrupt you. There you go. Um, I was supposed to go to the Coke Museum in a Braves game with my uh, with my middle school youth group after the summer after sixth grade before seventh grade, but then I moved. And then I came back in uh, in 10th grade. And it turns out that trip was like the seminal friend-making experience of my entire mm. social group. So I came in as an mm. outsider. I left as an insider. They all <laughs> went to the Coke Museum without me. And I came back an outsider. It forever defined me. Now you're a Pepsi man. Uh, <laughs> uh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you uh one of us Dr. Pepper people like from Yeah, Wicca? we know you were from Wake <laughs> We're we're aware. We know you went to school there. Uh <laughs> Uninformed Frog, Max D, just enough to get it done, and the time we killed the entire state of Mississippi. That's the Peach Bowl. Pete Mitchell, Max, Jamoy the Reaper Hodge, 2421. Uh Frog Lover Boy, Jesus. Uh Imani Bailey, Fig Deaton, 3530 Frogs. Uh, just yesterday he was in Athens recording George's practices to send over the city dikes. Which I enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> Ludacliff, hell yeah. Uh, Mardi Mercado, Dylan Horton, 3830. Uh, Macon is a good place to stop and use the restroom on a road trip. Congratulations. Uh, Winfred Mann, Di Mercado, Bud Clark, 3128 Frogs. Uh, Always Sunny, uh, Tay Barber, Jadarius Clark, 3835 Frogs. The World of Coke again. Ty Bowden, Max D. Winters, 2724 on a Kel walk off in the 2014 Peach Bowl. Toad Frog 140, Jared Wiley, Bud Clark, 3531 TCU, and Caleb Scheffler, 3824, Mad Max, D. Winters, and when he went to Georgia to fly somewhere better, Fort Worth. Whew. It's time for predictions. I'm not going to I will say, 
I, I, I will say it is it is uh like it's funny to read these names online but it's much funnier to hear them read out loud live <laughs> like it's just like oh my it's, gosh like frog lover boy are you yeah. like come on man what are we doing here yeah it's, it's, it's like, a loyalist which, like and there was <laughs> definitely a moment on twitter where i like i i became enlightened and was like this guy's username is like fartfoot69 i'm not gonna <laughs> respond to this like what am i doing <laughs> It's many years ago, but yeah, it's funny to just like look at these and be like, that's your it's, user game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I I just, you know, I mean, I use my name. That's the only name that I that's my <laughs> handle on everything. And then I'm just like, seeing these names are always so wild. I, I will throw out too, I lived in Georgia for two years, uh, in Atlanta. It's a great town. I'd absolutely recommend visiting it. I promise there is more to do there than just the world of Coca-Cola. <laughs> But that is there if you're a big Coca-Cola fan. And it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, especially if you're a soda drinker, uh, which I'm not so much. But uh, OK, so my prediction. I was the only person in America, basically, to pick TCU in the last game. I feel like I have to commit to the bit at this point. Right. Like, I, I feel like I have to. It's going to be a really close game. It's going to be a really close game, I think. I, I think that TCU is going to be able to pull out some tricks offensively. I think that they're going to change some stuff up defensively in a way that uh, that Georgia and Stetson Bennett might not be prepared for off the top. I, I think that, uh, again, it needs to be a relatively low-scoring game. It needs to be a limited possession game. It needs to be a game where TCU converts in the red zone. Uh but I, I think that it looks like TCU 28, Georgia 24. And so that's what I'll go with. My God. I I had it at... Okay, first off, I met one of my best friends in the world at a journalism camp uh, in Athens, Georgia, uh, after my junior year of college. So shout out uh, to Kay Holloway from Western Kentucky. The It's a great college town. I had my first ever beer in a bar there, and I was 19. Um, so uh, again, love that town. That didn't happen. That's a Corey Smith song. <laughs> I almost started sinking. So thank you for. Okay. Uh, I would have just been sitting here having no idea what's going on. So it's a bad. Corey Smith could be anybody, man. It's not a good song. It really is. So bad. It's really bad. Um, I'll send you a link. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep you uh, give me <laughs> what I said earlier. The best case scenario was 31 27 TCU. Give it to me, man. I'll, I'll stick with it. I think I think you're exactly right. It's got to be a low possession game. It's got to be a game that TCU can disrupt Georgia. At this point, I'm 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 just gonna roll with the frogs. At, at the very least, I think they cover the line at 13 and a half is just yeah, insulting. It's crazy. So it's I, that's crazy. A, that's an insulting line. They will cover. Give me 31-27. Screw it. Let's do it. Uh, Georgia is home of Valdosta State, where Hal Mummy did a lot of work to make the air raid happen. That's my nice thing about Georgia. I've been there many a time. Um, but I will say I'm I'm terrified. I'm I want to be optimistic. I'm gonna turn on fan mode when I when when the game happens, but I do believe now we're looking at a situation where Georgia scores high 20s and they just sit on it, kind of like the Tennessee game. They really just don't do more than they have to. Um, I'm going to go 28-14. Maybe a late touchdown for TCU makes it a little bit better. That hurts my heart. I don't want it to be true, but in the pit of my stomach, I can't shake that. So that's going to be my uh, my prediction. I hate you it. You can email Parker uh, all of your hate mail. Uh, I'll send you his personal address. I think I got a Christmas card from him. So you can also uh, mail him you know, a flaming bag of poop if you like. Um, 
guys, this podcast has gone on for an hour and 15 minutes. It might be our longest podcast. It might rival and the you, Kansas, like the, the and season. You Kansas said flaming team. bag of poop on it. We're here for an hour and 15 minutes, and you <laughs> felt like you needed to say that on this podcast. He ran you out of words, man. He's not used to being on this long. <laughs> the Kansas season preview was the longest podcast we did this year. You know that, right? It was an honest to God hour 30, like not like a break in the middle. Like it was we like weren't joking. It was, we were very excited about Kansas. It's our favorite. Um, one. I feel like every podcast that I go on, I feel like everybody's like, wow, that's the longest one we ever did. And I'm like, we get it, man. I'm loud. I talk a lot. I, I don't know what to tell that's you. That's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. Parker took us down 18 different diversions. He's bad at, he's, he, he cuts off transitions a lot. Do you guys want to hear um, more about my social circles in middle school or I could keep going with that? I don't know. Well, it sounds like you didn't have very many, did you? But uh, <laughs> the first time I, I kissed I, a girl was. <laughs> well, well, great. Uh, I, I guess, have you ever been to LA since that's the, that's the place in question? I, I have here. not. No, I, I've been to San Diego. I've never been to Los Angeles. Okay. Okay. What have about you, Parker? I've been to LA. I was, I was in LA last year. I went to a conference in Orange in the Chapman University. Ate some tacos, drank some beer, walked around the beach. I mean, the beach's not by Orange, but I still went to the beach. Um, I don't like California. There's a lot of people, but I was like having a beer and it was like, you know, 70 too, degrees at 8 p.m. I was like, hey, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Too, well, here's the problem. We need to split <laughs> California in half because there's too many liberals in L.A. County. But, but Eastern not Eastern California is very respectable part of the country. We should cut all of this out of the podcast. Oh, we're leaving um, it in. Yeah, have, have you, tell have us you where to find you. Yeah. yeah, no, I I actually uh, this is a dangerous statement just in general to say that uh, that I agree with Parker. But um, no, I first of all, I like it can be in. 50 years, I don't care. I just need like a list of what Parker's been doing for the last like two years. I'm very confused to be quite honest. It's it seems wild, but uh, <laughs> but I think that um, I think that for me, uh, yeah, I, Los Angeles was a lot. Los Angeles was a lot. It wasn't necessarily my sort of thing. I'm definitely more of a New York type of person than an, an, LA, an LA type of person. I feel like you're one or the other, and I'm definitely less of that. I do love the Bay Area, which is where my wife is from. That's a that's a much nicer part of California, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, L.A., there's a lot of people. There's certainly a lot to do. It just takes forever to get anywhere to do that. I'm a Bay City person. This has been the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm getting us out of here. My name is Grant McGalliard. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McGalliard. It's spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. I will be on the Too Much Dip live stream once again tomorrow night, starting at about 6.35, talking with Dave, KJ, and Dylan about the frogs. You can go on YouTube. I'll tweet out a link tomorrow. He's Parker Fleming. He is at Stats of War. He does the BetUS show. He does a bunch of stuff. You can follow him on Twitter there. He is at Shayon J. Raja. That's your Twitter handle, right? That is my Twitter Just handle. Your, your name. It's spelled exactly like it sounds. Where can people read you? With word? all those vowels. With all those vowels. <laughs> even more vowels. Uh, yeah, even more vowels. Uh, yeah, you can find all my work at cbssports.com. Uh, make sure and also check out my podcast, The College Football Survivor Show, where we talk playoff all year round. Uh, obviously now for Texas Christian University, apparently that's a relevant topic. So, you know, maybe the best time to go check it out. Hey, the media guide says we're not Texas Christian Uni University and we play sports. We are TCU. Can, can I get like one minor shot in? Come on. I like this is all I've got right now. Yeah, I, I didn't ask you to say something nice about Max Duggan. You should consider yourself lucky. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's TCU, an offseason podcast. That's an offseason <laughs> podcast. TCU plays Georgia for the national championship on Monday night. Enjoy it. Good night. Can I get a go frogs? Go frogs. Go frogs.